I'm listening and singing along with that song, and I thought, you know, that's a, that's a sermon title in that lyric. I don't know what the sermon will be, but someday you're going to walk in and you're going to read the bulletin, and the sermon title is going to be Hard Truth and Ridiculous Grace. I love that. And uh, like I said, it's always fun when I have a title and I have no idea what the sermon's going to be. Um, I want to start uh, with just a, a couple words of, of thanks uh, we had a lot of stuff happen around here yesterday. I wasn't here yesterday afternoon, but we had our food pantry, and I always want to thank all our volunteers serving uh, hot meals and serving in the volunteers. I saw Jimmy did a great video just kind of showing all the stuff that was, was happening yesterday. But also do, at the first service, a lot of them were in the first service. I got to recognize them, but I know Lori and, and Jimmy and others stuck around yesterday and cleaned the kitchen and did a lot of kind of house cleaning um, I recognize Simone and uh, Chris and um, Kimla at the first service, so I think you guys are the only two that are here. I don't want to forget anybody, but I, I really do appreciate that. I appreciate all of you. So many times when you guys do that, you just take initiative and you, you do stuff. Lori had come to me a few weeks ago and said, we really need to clean the kitchen. And I went, oh, goody. And... Um, <laughs> And then, like, the next day, to give her credit, she came and said, I got it all taken care of. And I went, praise Jesus. So, um, so anyway, thank you. Seriously, thank you for that and for everybody who, who volunteers and serves across the board. There's always stuff and, and, and worth just showing gratitude and appreciation for. I um, also want to thank David, David Reverend uh, Herman, who was back there, who preached last week and um, in, in my absence. And... I have heard so many of you come up and say what a powerful, powerful message it was and sermon it was, and I want to thank David for the last sermon that I'm going to let him preach um, here, because if he's going to set the bar that high, he can't come back, um, but it, in seriousness, but I just, I know that it, it blessed, because you all have shared that with me, and I, I'm thankful and, and deeply appreciative of, of David's friendship and, and mentoring and certainly giftedness when he steps in. As Tony and I, if you weren't here last week, we had the chance to be, in fact, about this time, well, Tennessee time, we were um, worshiping with Ryan at Fellowship United Methodist Church, which is the church he attends there in Tennessee, and had a chance to, to be with him for a few days. A lot of you have asked. If you're new, let me back the story up. If you're a guest and here for the first time or relatively new, um, just know that the backstory here is that our son Ryan is a um, junior at Middle Tennessee State. If some of you that know Ryan, if you can believe, he's already a junior. And... Um, he, uh, he had his junior recital uh, last week, and so we were up there to be a part of that. And, and I can say clearly with no bias or, or personal um, leanings that it was the best junior recital in the history of Middle Tennessee State. Um, it, was, it was great, and, and um, I've never heard Bach sound better. So, um, so we had a great trip, so, so thank you for... Uh, for your prayers and, and certainly um, just asking about him, and, and he's doing very, very well. So anyway, but it is good, it is good to be back. And um, as, as I was kind of preparing this morning, or for this morning, and the scripture that we'll turn to in, in a few minutes, uh, I, I was kind of taken back to this summer, and another story that involves Ryan and that is when he was back with us for a few weeks for vacation this summer, he had come to me and said, Dad, I really want you to watch with me this um, documentary 
called Free Solo. He had already seen it, and he wanted me to see it. And I don't know if that name is familiar, if it's a documentary you've seen, but it's a uh, story, an account, really, of Alex Honnold. I, th- I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. But he, uh, in June of 2017, was the first climber to free climb El Capitan in Yosemite. 3,000 feet of just rock face. I know many of you have seen it up close and personal. Uh, And if you're not familiar with terminology, free climb simply means no ropes, no harness, no safety gear, up the mountain. And um, it's asinine, quite honestly. Uh, It's the craziest thing. And so the, the story kind of accounts his preparing and, and the, a few of the attempts before, before he, he finally does this. And, um, you know, it's one of those, I don't know how you watch these kind of things. I knew that it didn't end in tragedy, you know, because it was on the news a few years ago. I knew he made it. But it's still one of those things that I watched with my stomach in knots. You know, it's the same way as sometimes um, tightrope walkers or, or if you've ever been to, uh, um, uh, yeah, the Walindas or, or uh, Cirque du Soleil or some of those acts where you're just like, oh my gosh. You know, it was kind of one of those things. It was just a, a tremendously risky and, and dangerous thing to do. But, but here's what's so interesting about this, his story that's told in this um, as I said, movie slash documentary, is that there's two things happening in his life. One is this endeavor to climb this mountain, if you will. But the other thing that's going on kind of behind the scenes, but is also central to, to his story, is, is his relationship with his then-girlfriend. And here's what was so interesting to me. We're watching this story about this guy in so many ways who shows no fear when it comes to climbing a mountain who clearly, and I'm using my language, is at the same time petrified of the risk involved, not of climbing a mountain, but of being in a relationship. He is daring on one aspect of his life and completely tethered in the other, completely um, reserved and withdrawn when it comes to investing in a human relationship because they haven't worked out so well for him and his own personality and his own uniqueness. And as I'm watching that, it's just fascinating me, this study of, of human nature. And, and I bring it up because it, it reminds me of something that is true for all of us. There are areas of our lives that we readily accept risk, that we are willing to assume risk. Now, that is different. They're not all the same. Some of you may have been or may, may be adrenaline junkies. So climbing mountains, jumping out of airplanes, bungee jumping off of bridges, that, that's all great, and you, you, you relish those crazy kind of activities. Um, for others, it could be maybe you're a financial risk taker. Maybe you're an investor. Maybe you're a gambler. That's not necessarily a good thing. It can be good or bad, depending on the context. But, but maybe in those, rela- those, those areas of your life. But, but we all are willing to assume some risk in life. All of us, because you're here today. If you were unwilling to assume any risk, you wouldn't be here. You would have never gotten in the car. We we understand there are aspects of our lives that demand that we are willing to take a risk. I wonder for how many of us that we would categorize our faith 
in that way. That we would think about our faith and our, our willingness to, to walk with Jesus, to, to be disciples, to, to follow this call. How many of us would, would assume that that is an endeavor, endeavor that calls us to be risk takers? And, and would think of it that way because that's what Jesus does. That, that really leads us into this scripture this morning. Now, there's a lot of ways we understand risk is inherent in faith. We see, we know this, many of the stories of the first believers and their suffering and their persecution and their death. And certainly that risk we understand. But there are other ways God calls us to step into places that may be less comfortable for us. To, to have an impact and to, to make a difference and to take the things that God has entrusted to us and use them in a way that makes a difference. And so, let's turn, oh, I'll have my Bible back here, let's turn to Matthew uh, chapter 25. And we read in this section this morning one of Jesus' parables, one of his stories you know, as you know, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know, Jesus often told stories that the listener could, could grab onto, could, could understand. But these stories always have deeper context, deeper meanings. And so here in, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells some stories, tells some parables. He just finished the parable of the ten virgins. And in verse 14, this is what we pick up. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. The one also who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Forever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, 
a challenging word that you speak, Lord, help us to hear. Open our hearts to receive your message, your, your spirit, as it whispers into our hearts, calls us deeper in our faith, and unites us in service. Lord, use us to your purpose and calling. Bless these words that are spoken. Bless our receiving of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may be familiar with this story as the parable of the talents. Uh, the, the New International Version, which I read from, turns um, the, the word talents into to bags of gold. It's just a different understanding, and it doesn't change the, the, the nature of the story in any way. It just it puts it in a, a way that's a little bit easier for us to, to understand. Talent's not a word, at least not in, in a monetary context, that we're as familiar with. But, but the heart of the story is a master who invests a great deal of money in his servants, who entrusts them with a great inheritance, if you will. Uh, a talent in the day of Jesus would have been equal to about 100 um, denarii. Now, an average laborer would get one denarii a day. So a talent, uh, it was the highest value, most valuable minted coin, gold, would be worth roughly about a third of a year's wages. So, so the point is, and what Jesus wants to convey is, you know, this isn't pocket change. This isn't a couple bucks, you, you know, you give to your kid to go to the concession stand. This is significant investment of wealth and resources. And, and the talents, and I like some of that language because it allows us, I think, in some ways to make that, that leap and to understand that what Jesus is talking is more significant than money. He's using the, 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 the monetary value of a talent to represent who we are, to, to represent those things that God has entrusted to us, our talents, in the context that we normally understand that word, our giftedness, our passions, our, our abilities, our intellect, our insight, our experience, all of these are the things that the master, that, that God has entrusted to us. And the heart of the parable, the heart of the story is, is Jesus wanting his followers and, and God wanting us to, to seriously ask ourselves the question, what have we done with what God has entrusted to us? That, that is, that's the heart of the question. What have we done with that which God has entrusted to us? Because the story is all about risk. But, but really, the, the two risk takers, the first and the second servant, really serve just to set up the encounter with a third. To, to set up and to really create a contrast between two that were willing to do something with what their master had given to them and this one servant who played it safe, who didn't want to take any risk, wanted to make sure that exactly what he'd received is what is given back. And the challenge and the question for us, are we willing to, to understand that part of our call of faith is the embrace of a risk? which invites us to be a part of what God is doing, to, to be a part of, of, to be a participant, a participant in God's work rather than an observer, rather than, than um, an audience, if you will. Because human endeavor moves forward through the, those who are willing to step 
out of the comfortable places into the challenging places. So on the backs of men and women who are willing to, to be risk takers. And sometimes in, in large and historic ways and sometimes in everyday and what we might consider ordinary ways. But, but people who don't want to watch life pass them by. And so industry advances on the backs of men and women who, who are willing to take risks. Um, Agriculture advances on the backs of men and women who are willing to take risk. Technology, we can go on and on. Medicine advances on the backs of men and women who are willing to take risks. uh, One of my favorite stories, and and you may have heard it before, I've probably told it before, uh, is is the story of of, um, David Crane O'Neill, Dr. David Crane O'Neill, early part of the, the, the 20th century. And he had this idea, he had this belief, really, that it would be safer, many surgeries, medical procedures, would be safer if they could develop a local anesthetic rather than a general anesthetic. If you could, if you could put parts of the body to sleep, essentially I know that medically it's much more complicated than that, but part of the body to sleep rather than the entire body to sleep, that it would be safer and better for the patient, for, for the success and for the recovery. And, and he believed firm, fervently that he had found a way to do that. The problem was he couldn't find anybody that was willing to test his theory. Nobody was lining up to say, ooh, do me, do me. So, other than, you know, monkeys and, and animals, so, so he did something that is kind of the equivalent of Alex Honnold climbing El Capitan with no safety equipment. He had done over 4,000 um, removals of appendix, uh, an appendix, he was 60 years old, in his, in his career. So he goes in, he goes in in February of 1921, and he sets up his operating room, and he moves the mirrors around a little bit differently, and he lays himself down on the table. He gives himself a local anesthetic, and he removes his own appendix. Yeah. Nuts. Here's the thing. How many of you have had surgery under a local anesthetic in your life? About a third of us. Be thankful. Dr. David Kane O'Neill was willing because he proved a point and technology, medicine advanced. Again, I'm not advocating it, all right? I'm not lifting up going, hey, go try something ridiculous. But, but my point is that we see this in every endeavor of human achievement, and we recognize its importance. Well, well Jesus says to us, so it is with your faith. So it is with your faith. The risk that Jesus calls us to is to be a people that are willing to do something rather than doing nothing. The, 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 the condemnation of the servant is because he did nothing. He took what had been entrusted to him. He took this investment that his master had given to him and he used it for no purpose. He buried it. He wasted it. God has created you God has created me with gifts, with passions, with interests, with things that light us up, that excite our spirits, that make our heart beat. What do we do with that? God has invested us with talents and gifts that are unique to each and every one of us. What do we do with that? Because too often we are passive. 
Too often I am passive, and, and too often you find yourself being passive. And, and we couch it in a lot of language. Sometimes in the most spiritual language we use is, well, I'm waiting for God to open doors for me. I'm waiting for God to reveal what God's will is for me. And I am not discounting a, a hunger and a passion to, to follow the will of God. That should be all our hungers and passion in faith. But too often it becomes permission to do nothing. Because I'm waiting for God to reveal God's will. We want to know before we go. Well, here's the truth. Sometimes God calls us to go and then know. To go and, and to, to do something. And, and we find ourselves at these forks in the road. And too often we become paralyzed by indecision because we don't know. Should we go left or should we go right? And very often, let me tell you, the answer is yes. Go. There are, there are rare moments in our lives when we're standing at these crossroads where it's a right and a wrong decision. That happens sometimes. That is, that there are times... Clearly, there's a right and wrong. I'm not discounting that possibility and, and reality. If, if you're having a hard time paying your bills and you're standing at a fork in the road and you're thinking, should I get a job or should I rob a bank? Okay, that, that's a right and wrong decision. Okay, that, 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 that's clear. And I use that um, kind of as a, as, um, a little bit of, of hyperbole, but, but to get the point, but, but there's so often that it's not about whether it's right or wrong. It's about a hunger to, to honor God with what we do. And what God is, is hungry for us to do is something. Go. Trust what God's word tells us, that God works to good in all things to those who love him. And I've, I've talked to people over and over again, and I said, if your heart is to honor God with your decisions. If your heart is obedience, then trust God's going to work in the circumstances. doesn't mean it's always going to go the way you want it to go. Don't, don't hear me say that. But that God will be at work in your engagement of the opportunities that God has placed before you. Your engagement of the gifts. The, the use of your passions. Because that's how and who we've been created to be. One of the stark contrasts between the way of Jesus and some of the, the Eastern faiths, and, and do not hear me criticizing people of other faiths, but, but understand the difference. If you're familiar a little bit with some of the East Hinduism and, and Jainism and, and Tao, you understand that part of the, the pursuit is a disconnect from desire. It's a withdrawal into, it's, it's, it's a meditative reflection, which there's incredible value in meditation. But it is a, a, a giving up of personal wants and desires and, and even passions, if you will. Now, that's one way, but understand, that's not Jesus' way. Jesus says, I have created you that you would have life. And he says, not just life, but have it in abundance. It's overflowing a river of life that flows from you. We are created with giftedness, with passions, with, with desires. And we have the ability to make a difference. We are called to do good. Are we doing it? Are we taking these things that God has entrusted to us and are we doing something that makes a difference, that reflects the love of Jesus. Not, not for our glory. I mean, that's the call of Christ, is that, that we would follow him in this path of discipleship. So it's, it, it's not about us, but it's about honoring the one 
who has poured his grace and his love and his spirit upon us. Are we willing to do something? I I love the fact that Jesus uses different monetary denominations, five talents, two talents, one talents, five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold, because it reminds us that we're gifted differently. We're not all given the same gifts. We're not all given the same proportion, but we are all called to the same service, to the same investment of those things God's trusted to us. If God doesn't call us beyond our capabilities, he empowers us sometimes beyond our imagination. But, but again, God, God doesn't call us beyond what he has invested in us. So if God's given us pebbles, he doesn't expect us to build a pyramid. But he expects us to build something. If God's given us burlap, he doesn't expect us to weave golden garments. But he expects us to weave something. What are we doing? How are you taking the gifts and the talents God has given and stepping out of the comfortable places to the risky places that God can multiply those gifts and can use them to do good? To do good. I I don't think the story sets up as prizing the, the first two servants because they doubled the investment. I don't think the return was the focal point. It was the willingness to step out of the comfortable place, the willingness to take a risk. You've got to understand, Jesus takes a a popular story of his day, and he he flips it around. Jesus does this a lot, and and contextually, we don't always realize it, but, but there was a story that was told at the same time that Jesus was alive that was very much like this. In fact, it was about a master who entrusted money to his servants. So Jesus probably started telling this story, and the disciples and others said, oh, yeah, we, we've heard that. We've, we've heard that story, Jesus. We know that story. And in that story, two servants get the money. One invests it and loses it. The other buries it. And when the master comes back, the one who lost the money is cast out, and the one who buried the money is elevated to head of the household. So it's celebrated reserve. But Jesus takes that story. He starts telling it, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Pay attention to the twist. And the ones who risk are rewarded. The one who plays it safe is cast out. Our, I think our, one of our greatest faults in comfortable Christianity is that we just we play it safe. We just play it safe. Uh, I, you remember the movie, some of you remember, early 90s, um, so my kids would say it's an oldie, um, but it was Far and Away with uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Tom Cruise. If you, if you remember the story, even if you don't, the, the, the heart of the story is um, set in the, the Oklahoma uh, land rush, I guess, that, and these Irish immigrants, and, and so the, the big event when you would kind of stake your claim is... The men would get up early, and I guess the plots were laid out, and you had to basically race everybody else to get the plot you wanted. And if you were the first one there, you know, that was your land. And uh, so uh, toward the end of the story, Tom Cruise's character, Joseph, has to, to get a horse. He really doesn't know how to ride a horse, but he has to get a horse. So he goes to buy a horse, and there's this wild, untamed stallion that's just bucking like crazy. And... Um, 
you know, he's like, well, you know, the guy's like, you, you can have this one. And he's like, no, I'm not riding that horse. And he's like, well, I've got this other one. And this other one's very tame, docile, calm. Tom Cruise is like, yeah, that's the one I want. So he takes that horse. He buys it, ties it up. Next day he comes, horse is dead. One of the guys walks by and looks at the horse. He says, yep. He says, that was the oldest horse I'd ever seen. Here's the thing. I think too many of us pick the tame horse. We pick the tame. We want, we'd rather ride the, de- the dead horse than face the wild stallion. But here's the thing. God will do so much more with the wild stallion than he can ever do with the dead horse. Are we willing to, to, to invest what God has given to each of us, to me, to you, to serve Jesus, to, to move forward faith, to, to impact lives, to, to make a difference? Are we willing to give it all? The early part of the 20th century, a young man was born by the name of William Borden. Probably not familiar with William Borden specifically, but you know the Borden name. He was part of that family, that dairy family, wealth and prominence and, and comforts, all the comforts of life. Early in his life, his mom, I don't know if she became a Christian or became recommitted to her faith, but, but her faith became important to her, and she brought her son, William, along and took him to church and introduced him to Jesus. And uh, let me warn you, parents, it's dangerous to introduce your kids to Jesus because they just might take him seriously. And William Borden did. And he became passionate in his faith. And when he turned 16 years old, his parents gave him a trip uh, around the world. Now, again, this is roughly um, 1903. So significance of, I mean, it's significant now, but certainly then. And so William Borden takes this trip around the world, and he becomes consumed with a call to be a missionary. He becomes consumed with a call to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the places that he'd seen. Now understand, this is what's so dangerous. That was not the path his parents had envisioned for him. In 1905, he, uh, he begins as a student at Yale. He attended Yale, and in addition to his many activities, continued a passionate faith in Jesus and introducing classmates and Bible studies and and worship and continued to live out his faith. When he graduated in 1909, he was offered many lucrative jobs. He turned them all down so that he could go to Princeton Seminary and continue to live into his call to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. In 1912, he graduated Princeton Seminary, and he felt called to go to China to minister and and witness to the Muslims in China. So late in 1912, he went to Cairo, Egypt, to begin to learn Aramaic so he could go be a missionary in China. In March of 1913, he contracted spinal meningitis. Two weeks later, William Borden, at the age of 25 years old, passed away. His story captivated this country. His story captivated Egypt. After his death, his Bible was given to his parents. And when they did, when they got that Bible, they opened it up, and they found a sheet of paper. 
And by it were dates of notes he had made. About 1905, the time he was starting his student at Yale, he wrote the words, no reserve. In 1909, as he was turning down lucrative job offers and deciding to go to seminary to study to be a missionary, he wrote the words, no retreat. And in April of 1913, just days before he passed away from spinal meningitis, he wrote his last two words, no regret. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. He had given it all. And God used his story. And God blessed his faithfulness, even if it wasn't in the ways he had expected. He stepped into the places of risk to live out that mantra, no reserve, no retreat, no regret. What a powerful testimony for him and I think would be for any of us when we are willing to step into the places God calls us, to invest the resources God has entrusted to us and to assume the risk of what it means to follow Jesus. I challenge you to take that step. Whatever that means. For some, it may be the first step of trusting your life to a God who will call you to a life of significance and impact beyond your wildest dreams. It may be a recommitment to that faith, or maybe it's just an openness to God, help me do something. But whatever it is, I pray this day, and I'll be here to pray with you if you'd like at the end of worship, I pray take the next step to live into the risk of doing something, doing something with what God has entrusted to us. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us take that next step of faith and faithfulness. Help us to to recognize and to see the the goodness that you have poured into and over us, to recognize the gifts, the uniqueness, the talents, the passions, the interests that that you have birthed in in each of our spirits. Lord, help us to use it to do something, to do good, to make a difference, to follow Jesus. Lord, help this be the truth of who we are and who we are called to be. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And let the people of God say, Amen.